Here we are. Parsha's Yisro. Did anybody have a chance to look at the Parsha? Yeah. yeah. Only up to today's. So. You're up to today, okay? That means you haven't got. So you have, no, what? no, no. You haven't even gotten to the main part of the Parsha. What's the main thing in Parsha's Yisro? Anybody? Is it the Yisro that gets to be a judge? Giving of the Torah. Giving of the Torah is the most important. Well, it's not the giving of the Torah. It's like the preparation. It's gonna, the most important thing that actually happens in this Parsha is revelation at Sinai. Okay, that happens in Parsha's Yisro. The revelation at Sinai takes place in this Parsha. We do not get to the actual, whatever, couple of verses that cover revelation till the sixth Aliyah. That means if you're up to Chumash up till today, you're like, it seems like the most important part of this Parsha is not really it. So we're going to... We're going to so crazy that it's called talk about all these things. Exactly. So I want to start from the beginning. I want to say that the most important thing in this Parsha is Revelation at Sinai, and we're probably not going to get to it. I'm just putting that out there. Okay? We're probably not going to get to it. Um, we might talk... I want to touch on some of the things a little bit, but I want to start... I want to start with the beginning. I want to start with, with Yisro. So the parsha opens up. It's chapter 18 in Exodus. Okay? Vayishma Yisro, Vayishma Yisro, Kohen Midian, Chosen Moshe, Es Kolasher Asal Kim Lemoshel Yisrael, Amo, Kiyotzi Hashem Es Yisrael Mitzrayim. So Yisro hears everything that's been going on. I guess in a world without WhatsApp, you still get the news. It might take another little bit, but you hear what's going on. Okay? So Rashi says, Rashi brings, the first Rashi in our Parsha says, Vayishma Yisra, that Yisra heard, what did he hear that made him come? And then he came, right? So he said, so Rashi says, you heard about the crossing of the sea and the war with Amalek. Now, there is a, an incredible debate within the sages, when did Yisra come? When did Yisro come to join the people? We all know that when Moshe comes from Midian to save the people, he came with his wife and his two children. Remember the whole story of, of Zipporah giving the baby the circumcision on the way? And then we don't hear about them, right? Because as they're getting close, as they, come to, as they come to Mitzrayim, Aaron's like, who are these people? He's like, oh, this is my wife and children. And he's like, we're trying to get these people out. We're not bringing more people. It's like, Imagine somebody in 1944, 1938, you know, 1943, coming to Germany to help the Jews and bring their family with them. No, 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 they go back. So the only two Jewish children who missed the entire Egypt story live experience were Moshe's two children. Who was their name? Uh, Gershom and, and uh, Men- not Menashe, Gershom and Eliezer. Eliezer, mm-hmm. Eliezer and Gershom. Yeah. Right. Um, they're the only two children who, when we have, when we're given the commandment to tell the, the story to our children, Moshe is the only one who has children who didn't experience the story. Right now, all of us are sort of in that place now, but in the first generation. So the question is, when did Yisrael come? Yisrael comes, he brings Zipporah, Moshe's wife, and his two children. There's a whole conversation. Did he come before Revelation of Sinai? Did he come after Revelation of Sinai? Rashi seems to take the... It seems that he maybe is here before. From okay, Yisro is Moshe's father-in-law. Okay, the Torah, the Torah introduces himself as Chosen, Moshe, the father-in-law of Moshe, and then he says, 
Yisro, and it, by the way, it uses the expression Moshe's father-in-law, Chosen Moshe, about five times in the Pesukim. The next pasuk says, "Vayikach Yisro, Chosen Moshe, as Tipora Eishes Moshe." Like we hear this, this, this. No, we we hear about the relationship between Yisro and Moshe over and over and over again. Right? He doesn't. We don't hear it once. Yisro Moshe's father-in-law came and he born his wife and his children. No, we hear Yisro Moshe's father-in-law came and Yisro Moshe's father-in-law brought Tipora. We hear it over and over and over again, which means it's going to be something that's going to be very significant. Um, so the first thing is that he, so Rashi seems to think, Rashi's of the opinion that Yisro comes at some point after, after the crossing the sea and the war with Amalek. Yes? Wait, why was Tiparah and Moshe's children not with him? Exactly that, because when they came to Egypt, Aaron's like, do not bring more people here. Do not bring more people here. We're, we're, we're worried about the people who were, who were stuck in Egypt. We're not bringing more people. We're not bringing, you know, the, the people who came to save, like I said, the people who came to save the Jews in Germany, they left their families in some safe place and they came in and put themselves in danger. We now, like with the, you know, the Monday morning, the Monday morning quarterbacks, we get to look back and say, oh, it would have been fine if Moshe would have brought Sephora. It would have been like, you know, things would have been amazing. And, but the Arendt didn't know that. And Moshe doesn't really know that. So when they come and he did bring them, he started to bring them, Arendt's like, no, 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 no. Send them back. They shouldn't stay here. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening here. Send them back. So they go back. And here, it's, here uh, the Pasuk says that, that he brings them here after they were sent away. They were sent away when they came to Egypt. And Aaron's like, no, bad idea. Bad idea. They don't belong here now. Um, uh, so they come now. And, um, and so the first thing we hear is that, that he comes. And Rashi, it's very interesting. And, and a lot of the commentators highlight, what's the big deal that Yisro heard about this? Like, everybody heard about this. Everybody heard about it. We, remember we spoke yes, last week about the crossing of the sea. One of the Mepharshim says, one of the commentators says, that, because that all the water in the world split. Every single body of water, every single, all the water split. So everybody were like, whoa, what's going on, right? So everybody knew about it. What's so special that Yisro heard about it? And and the and like all well, the Bali Musr talk a lot about and some of the Chesed also that he heard about it, uba, and he came. He didn't just hear about it and say, "Oh my gosh, that was amazing!" Did you hear what happened to the Jewish people? That's just whoa, so crazy! I can't believe it. he's like he heard about it and he's like, "I gotta go see what's going on. I gotta get into this. I got I got I gotta look into this a little bit more." He was moved. To, to literally move himself from point A to point B because there was something going on that was so monumental, he couldn't just sit back on the side and say, oh, huh, that's interesting. Like, he wasn't doing that. He was absolutely um, moving into the space, okay? So now we have, it tells us that Yisra has a bunch of names. Um, uh, one second, it goes a little bit further. Here's right there, one second. I'm trying to see. It's gonna be a little later on. So, so Yisro comes. He brings he brings Sipora and the children, and um, and uh, and Yisro, they, the the noise comes. Not the noise. The news comes to Moshe that they're coming, and Moshe comes out. And uh, if Moshe's going, then Aaron goes. And if Moshe and Aaron are going, then all the leaders are going. And if Moshe and Aaron and the leaders are all going, then everybody's coming. So this whole big procession coming to greet. A Yisro and and uh, and his wife, 
and his children, and they each hug each other, and everything's great. And it says that Vesapar Moshe in verse eight, Vesapar Moshe lechosno es kol asher es kol asher asah Hashem leparo ulemitzrayim al odes Yisrael. Moshe starts to tell him everything that happens, everything that Hashem did to the Egyptians on behalf of the Jewish people, everything that He did and how Hashem saved them. And Yisro gets like goosebumps when he hears the whole story. Okay, and what does Yisro say in verse in verse ten? Pasuk Yud. Look at Pasuk Yud. No, no, no. Chapter 18, verse 10. Um, What does he say? Eternal is God. Oh, Oh, in Hebrew it says, okay, what did you say? Eternal has shown himself to the source of blessing. Okay, but if you look in the Hebrew for a second, Uh, he says, Baruch Hashem! He says, Baruch Hashem. This is is sort of that rolls off our, our, our lips on a regular... He says, Baruch Hashem, who saved you from Mitzrayim and from Paro, who saved the, the nation. And then before Hashem talks about Rashi brings it a little bit that there were different, there were different advisors to Paro, and Yisro was in fact one of the advisors to Paro who didn't want to go along with his plan of genocide, but he actually knew everything that was going on. So when he heard the story, he was like, oh my gosh. Like he totally got how everything was payback for everything they had planned. Um, and... Um, and and, 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 but, but what's so powerful, and, and the Gemara says that nobody blessed Hashem until Yisro came and blessed Hashem. But, like, that's not actually really true. I mean, last week the Jews sang Shira, and they had all this kind of, like, Avram blessed, like, we have people blessing Hashem, so why do we say that Baruch Hashem, that this, first of all, you know, it's so funny, like, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, right? Like, it sounds like a sun girl. Um, uh, uh, why do we give credit to Yisro first and foremost? And the Gemara talks about the idea that Yisro was the first person to bless Hashem for something that happened to somebody else. He didn't say, wow, Hashem, thank you, that was amazing, that of something you did to me. Yisra is the first person who looks at something that happens to somebody else and is like, oh my gosh, Hashem, that is so amazing. That is so amazing. That is so special. Um, which is, is sort of giving us a little bit, you know, first of all, I want to say, first of all, for ourselves, that's a very good media to sort of cultivate a little bit. Like it's first of all, or the first of all, the first of all, it's really nice when we say thank you when things happen to us. Let's not forget about that part, you know. We could either chalk it up to, oh, it just happened, or we could say, Thank you, Hashem, for fill in the blank. Whatever it was that happened, good, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, for us to get into that space of acknowledging Hashem's goodness in our life. And one of the things we talk about in different places is like the more we, the more we thank Hashem for the goodness, the more He's going to give us goodness because we're, we're, we're also going to see it in all different areas. We could either chalk it up to chance or we could say Hashem is great and Hashem is so kind to us and that's a very, very special, important thing. But the other question that we want to ask is can we say thank you for the goodness that Hashem does to other people? And that, I think, is a really big midah. And it doesn't mean that we don't want good for ourselves, but I think like having the ability to say thank you for good that happens to another person is very, 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 very powerful. Um, Stam, you know, you see, you see now, like, families of people who have, you know, if they have families of people who are still hostage are still happy for other hostages that got out. They're not saying like, we are our kids. They are saying we're our kids and we should all be saying that, but 
they aren't saying, like, they're able to be happy for the other person's simcha as well, and I think that's one of the things that we're, that we are getting from Yisrael, this place of acknowledging that Hashem does good, is doing good for other people as well. And now he says, now I know Hashem is so great, and this is the whole first aliyah, is just Yisro coming to the camp of the Jewish people, he brings Tzipor and the children, and they all sit down, and and they're starting, they, and, they, and you know, they have, they bring carbonis, and what did you do? We sit and we eat, and it's great, and it's wonderful, right? Um, then we have the second aliyah, and the next day, what happens? Did somebody turn off the heat, because I'm literally starting to fall asleep? Thank you, thank you, Gloria. Um, so the next day, Moshe goes to sit and judge the people. Now, this leads credence, credence? Credence, I think. This leads credence to the thought that Yisrael came after Matan Torah. Because if Yisrael came before Matan Torah, there'd be nothing to judge. There's nothing to talk about over here, right? So what happens? So he sees, he sees, he, um, he's, so Yisrael sees that Moshe's judging the people, and it's all day. He's sitting, and the people are standing from day to night, and they're, and they're, and they are, um, they're waiting to be judged by Moshe. So what happens? So, again, he's being introduced again and again as the father-in-law of Moshe. He sees what's going on and he says, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing to the people? And so he says, so Moshe says, they're coming, they're coming to get advice. Ledrosheth Elkim are coming to get, you know, guidance. And when they have a question, they come to me and they, and they, uh, and, and, I, and I help guide them, Right? So again, Chosen Moshe says to him, Lotov Hadavar, this is not a good thing that you're doing. You're going to be exhausted. The people are going to be exhausted. It's just not sustainable. Um, he says, you, he says, if you listen to me and you and Hashem agrees with my plan, then and he and he, what does he say to him? He says to them, Yisro says, we're now like in verse 19 and 20 and 21. He says to them that you should set up. What's Yisro's brilliant idea? Set up a court system. Set up a court system. Set up layers of these people are answerable to these people and these people are answerable. And when things get too hard, you will answer the questions. Okay? And that is just like seen as an amazing, brilliant idea. And um, they ask Hashem and he finds the answer. He finds people and, uh, and, they, and they set it up. And I want to stop on this for a second, or two seconds. I know we live in, like, most of us, I think, are coming from first world countries. And the idea of a court system and levels of a court system and a Supreme Court and whatever. This is not, like, not such an idea. It's not, it's not such a novel idea, right? It's not such a novel idea. So why did Moshe think about it on his own? And also, one could argue, as Rosh Steinzals does, Moshe grew up in the palace. Mm-hmm. Egypt was a very, very civilized, organized country. They had all of this. So why doesn't Moshe understand this on his own, that this is not sustainable, that this is not a good idea? Like, and the brilliant idea is to set up a court system. Like, why did Moshe get that? Hashem came to Moshe and said, you have this responsibility to take these people out. I feel like it's kind of hard to like take himself out of that leadership, whatever, and rely on other people when he and Aaron have been doing everything themselves the whole time. Correct. I'm not disagreeing. I'm, I, I, I appreciate that, but, but like, 
Is it sustainable? Well, maybe it's it's also like he doesn't want to take with him any part of Egypt. So that system mm. he already had, he's like, I don't want this. But also, he's not innovative. He just does what Hashem says. I mean, it's not like it's not like he's being creative and like pulling ideas from his past, you know. Okay, okay, I hear that. I like that, Malky. To be completely honest, like Sydney is not here, but from what I see from my educational background, what he is asking to set up is not specifically a court system just of itself, but the system of checks and balances, which did not exist in the Paros. Like, Why do you see checks and balances? Checks. Like, uh, no, I know. I understand what it is, but how do you see it? Like, I see it that there is no one authority other than, well, Hashem, meaning human's authority, that is going to overpower Anybody another. Else. Like, that is going to be, it's not like democracy, because obviously we know <laughs> there's one leader, but at the same time, it's something that they cannot be one institution that is going to be overpowering all the other institutions and so someone's voices are not going to be heard that's what i see in like in, in, this. in, this, in the structure Meaning, like exactly i i know what you're saying about the paris castle but at the same time if it's a dictatorship which it was correct. there is not much of this going correct on. correct 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 so so we could argue as i think monkey is arguing he's not looking to exchange one dictatorship right. for a more benign version of dicta- dictatorship where it's only my opinion um there there's there's you know so the first thing we're going to agree on is that moshe knew of such a system right. however you want to you know yes there's a place of checks and balances and if these people don't agree they'll go to those people and like it's not like this is what i say you do and that's it and you know it's tough luck like I, I'm the only voice, and nobody has to say a voice. But um, what's interesting, what's interesting, so Rav Steinzeltz talks about the idea that Moshe and Yisro are looking at the people very, very differently. Moshe is looking at the people as what they are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And Yisro is looking at the people and saying, but this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, Moshe says, when, and the Rebbe also you know, touched on this point, when you stand in front of Moshe, you are elevated. You are exalted. And there's a place where the arguments that you have with your neighbor, all of a sudden you realize, how important are they? Is this really my best self coming through? And Yisra's like, that's all nice and fine. But the reality is that they are bothered by, I don't know, they were bothered by, you know, your tent is too close to my tent or whatever they were. I don't know if they're fighting over the desert. Or they all had to, I don't know. But, but there was stuff going on. People were standing all day to, to be judged. Moshe's like, but if they come to me, if they come in front of me, they're elevated to a place that, that they can live like the potential. You know, how many of us? have had on a report card. So-and-so is not living up to their potential, right? Moshe's like, but they could do that. If they could come here and be lifted to what they're, what I see they are able to do, and Yisra's like, that's all nice, but that isn't actually what's going on. And the question is, so what do you do? You know, how do you do it? And, 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 and Rosh Steinsaltz talks about the idea that Moshe did see it more as there was no hierarchy in Judaism. Everybody should have equal access to the top, and they shouldn't have to go to somebody who's going to go to somebody who's going to go to somebody who's going to go to Moshe. Everybody should have equal access, and everybody should be able to come and 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 Moshe and Rosheinzels argues that Moshe understood that it was not a tenable structure. It was not something that was going to be able to last. But as long as we could pull this together, 
it would be beneficial for the Jewish people. Now, one could argue, one could argue that this system could have lasted, let's say, for the, for the length of Moshe's life, right? For the length of Moshe, Moshe's life, such a thing could have happened. It would have been exhausting, it would have been whatever, but it could have lasted. Yisro is saying, how do we, this is like my wording of, of what I, I was in from the preparation, so I might have the wording slightly off, but like, how do we make this sustainable without Moshe? Meaning not that we're looking to get rid of Moshe, but like in the reality of human life and the 120 years that a person gets, what happens? How do we do this afterwards? Um, and one of the thing, one of the things that's that's very amazing is one of, we talked in the beginning that Yisr has a bunch of names, and one of his names is Yeser because he had a part of Torah added because of him. Okay? Now we know. If I don't get back to my thought, somebody make sure I finish my thought. But I'm going to try to develop this a little bit. We know that there are parts of Torah that came, that were given through other people, not specifically through Moshe. There were questions that people asked, and then a law came out. For example, the whole idea of having a second Pesach. People who were, who were, not, who were not able to bring the first Pesach sacrifice for whatever reason... So people who, in, in the first time they had to bring the basic sacrifice, people came to Moshe and they said, why should we lose out? We also want to do it. He said, wait, I'll ask Hashem. And Hashem said, yes, I was going to give them the law of a second Pesach. Okay, so the law came down through other people. The, the same thing of women, women inheritance, right? When, the, the, when they're going to the land of Israel and the daughters of Tzalaf had come, they say, we don't have our father, we have no brothers. We're, our father's not going to have any portion of the land of Israel. Okay, I'll go speak to Hashem and I'll get the answer for you. Okay? Hashem was always planning to give those mitzvahs. But what happened was, there was a merit that was given to people who were bothered by something and they're like, but this isn't fair. How could this work? And then Moshe goes to Hashem and Hashem's like, you're right. This was here, you know, slotted the answer. This is what I was planning to say. Here's a place, perfect example. We're going to give it to you now. So those people have a merit that part of Torah was given through them, okay? That's not what we're saying about Yisro. Yisro is saying, what we're saying about Yisro that he has an added part in the Torah. Something is added, that there's something that is going to be put into Torah that would not have originally been put into Torah. Now, if you open the brackets or whichever direction we're going now, once their time in the desert would have ended and they, they would have had to come up with some kind of system how to do it. They, they, if Moshe was not there, they would have had to come up with a system of teaching Torah and how do we get the laws adjudicated. There was, it would, it would, but, but then what would happen? That structure would be a human structure with the limitations of human structure. It wouldn't be divine. But what Yisro does, he comes to the people in the desert and he says... I get it that you think everybody should have equal access, but it's not a sustainable system. We need to have everybody have a way to access Torah, but maybe not the way you see it happening. And when Hashem says yes, and then it becomes part of Torah, then that structure ends up having becoming part of Torah. It has part of the divinity, and it has the bracha of something that is divine. Meaning it, it, we take out the... the um, I don't know what that is. 
of human, right? The, like the, not the riffraff, that's not the right word, but like, I can picture, you know, like, if this is something beautiful and pristine, godly, the human is sort of not as perfect, so it's, it's the imperfections of the system, but if it comes from Hashem, then all those imperfections and those things that are going to mess up and are not going to work are not there because it is now not a human invention on Torah. It is the godly directive of how to teach Torah and how to, how to interact with Torah and how do, we, how do we do this. So what Yisra actually does is he added something. Now it's hard, you know, it's hard for us to say, and if Rashi didn't say it, we couldn't say that Yisra added something that wasn't going to be there before. But, but that's what Rashi says, that there's a place that he's adding. He's taking, again, it's not that Moshe couldn't have thought about this, and you're right. Moshe could have had the logic to say, that was an Egypt way of doing things. That's not a Torah way of thing. Torah ways were all going to just be elevated, 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 so our, our physical is not real, and it, we understand that it's not important, and this is the potential that we're able to have. And not only that, when they actually have revelation at Sinai, and they say, we want to hear Hashem, Moshe's so excited, and then when they actually hear Hashem's voice, and they're like, no, 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 it's too much, it's too much, we can't deal with this. Moshe's very disappointed. And Hashem's like, no, there has to be the Moshe inspiration, but if it can't be a, if it can't be a relationship that you could, in body and soul together as you are now, hear, receive, grow with, then you're missing the point. You had a comment or a question? I mean, you maybe yeah. also. No? I had a comment and a question. Yes. Um, it's interesting because I feel like it had to take Yisro or like an outsider in order to do it because anyone within the system is not going to see what's best for them. So it's, it's interesting. He had to be like... He had to be an outsider. But I th- also, the question of also like how much could the insider question? Meaning, meaning even if you didn't maybe agree with it 100%, who am I to buck, you know, what's going on? Like it's... it's, it's, it's right. It maybe is very big. Right. And I think... Just to, to add on to your thought, I think maybe, and this is my own, so you really don't have to accept this at all, so I literally just made this up, but I think maybe one of the reasons that, Moshe, that the Torah keeps identifying him as Moshe's father-in-law is because he's not coming as a, as a total outsider. Mm-hmm. He's, he's emotionally invested in that this should be good. You know, he's emotionally invested in, the, in that it should be good for the Jewish people, and it should be good, like, how many times does it have to say that he's Moshe's father-in-law? Like, right. It's not just like an auditor coming in. It's somebody like a family member or something who yeah. maybe like has, yeah, has, has a perspective of distance. Yeah. Sorry, and your question or comment was? Oh, yeah. Uh, Hashem never says yes to the plan unless I really missed it. I didn't see it in the text. Well, if it happens, that means Hashem said yes. But so many it. times in the Chumash... When they have a question, they ask Hashem and says, and Hashem says, says yes, yes or no. Right. He, says, he talks about specific. So I wonder, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the places that Hashem says yes, that we see it, is always, um, like I'm just thinking, I could be wrong, so like I'm not saying I know Torah so, so, so well, but the place that we hear, we have, for example, for the Benos Slavchad, we have it, and we have it for the Pesach Sheni people. Mm-hmm. Like when they come and they, they like got what Hashem wanted to say, then we have like we, Hashem does say, yes, they spoke well. Yes, those people, I'm agreeing with them and maybe that's going to be a difference. But there are also, by the way, there's lots of places in Torah where, Hashem, where Moshe says, Hashem said blah, blah, blah. We're like, we're not going to say that. We, we didn't see that. We didn't see that in the text. 
but if, if Moshe said, Hashem said, whatever it is, then there was definitely that. And I, I also think it's very interesting that Yisro, as the outsider, still says, ask Hashem. Ask Hashem. Yeah. If Hashem agrees with this, then this is what you should do. Yeah. He doesn't say like, just whatever. He's like, ask Hashem, see if Hashem agrees with this idea. And then the fact that Moshe then goes and collect, tries to get the people, that's, that's uh, I think that's a very important thing uh, as well. Questions, comments? Okay. Okay, so they go and they set up this whole court system going on over here. Um, and the other thing which also just stunned, like the, the Bali Musa talk about the idea that Rashi, and I was trying to find it in the, in the Pusik, I was trying to find the Rashi, but I don't, I, we're talking, where Rashi talks about um, that he has an added name. Yes, sir? We, we talked about that Yisr has the added name. So it says, and I thought it was in the beginning, but I didn't see it in the beginning. There's a couple. Huh? There's a couple. No, no, he has seven names, but Rashi says, why does he have Yeser? In a second, let me see if it's all the way in the beginning. I just... Um, oh, you know, there's... Haha, it is it's on the side of the page I didn't even look at. Okay, in the first Rashi where it says Yisro, I, I just like turn the page and didn't look on the left side of the page. Um... So it says, Yeser, it has all the things, and it says, Yeser, it says, Al-Shem Sheyeter Parashachat Torah, that he added a parsha added to, his, to the Torah, and Rashi quotes, Va'ata Techazeh, and you should search out and you should find. And if we look at Yisro's whole conversation with Moshe, Va'ata Techazeh is like five verses in. Because first he lays out the problem. But the part that we consider the greatness of Yisro was not that he highlighted the problem. Because anybody can highlight the problem. Yes. The question is, when he can come up with the solution and he says this could possibly be a way to make it work, that's considered the addition to the Torah. You have to, he has to bring his, what he sees as the problem in order to bring the solution, but the, the place that he's getting credited is not that he saw the problem. is that he was able to say, this is the problem, and this is a potential solution if Hashem agrees with you. I can't believe that. We literally just didn't look on the left side of the bench. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Now, uh, now we're up to chapter 19. Revi, we're moving, fa- we're moving along really nicely. The third month after the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim. Right? They come to, they come to the Midbar Sinai, and um, they've left from Rafidim, and they come... And what does it say there in verse 2? Something very, very famous. Vayichan sham Yisrael neged hahar, that the people uh, can't, uh, they can't opposite the mountain. And Rashi says, Vayichan is a singular form. It should have said Vayachanu, but it says Vayichan sham Yisrael. Because if you see the beginning, it says Vayiso, Vayavo, Vayachanu. And then all of a sudden, Vayichan sham Yisrael. So Rashi says, Ki'ishachad belevachad, one man with one heart. They were totally focused, totally understood the point of what was going on and um uh and they they really like the, the the there was something about the place that caused them to get that the highest value that they had was that unity that place of unity is what they need to do and then we started having the negotiations with Hashem they're going up and down and <coughs> so um if you take a look in verse three I wanted to highlight this for a little bit so Moshe goes up to Hashem and Hashem calls to him from the mountain, and he says, "Kotomar Yaakov, Israel." So should you speak to the 
house of Jacob and say to the children of Israel. And, uh, and Rashi says that Beit Yaakov is the women, right? In case you're wondering why the whole school system is called Beit Yaakov or Beit Yaakov. Why mother is... Huh? Why were Jewish by mother? Why were? Jewish by mother. Mother, like... Why, why? why are we Jewish by mother? I mean, besides that, it's easy to prove. <laughs> In a world without DNA testing, yeah. Um, uh, and Betya and, and B'nai Israel is the, is the men. And if you look at the words, Tomar, if you say the letters, Amar, right? You say it, Amar, right? They're all gentler letters. If you say Taged, they're all harsh letters. That, they're harsher letters. So Rashi says that these are the women. So Bet Yaakov, these are the women. Speak to the heads. Yeah. Speak to them. The Lush and Raka in softer language. And you see it reflected in the word used for speak. And the Taged of Israel. And these are to the men. Like the, the law, the, the punishments and the, all the details. Speak harshly to, speak more harshly to the, to the men. And one of the things that unfortunately talk about the idea is that Hashem... Um, I don't want to say he's, he's learning his lesson. That sounds really terrible to talk about Hashem like that. Um, but that, that when it came to the most important thing that God was going to do, he was like, how do, we, how do we make sure that this is successful? And he says, what happened when I put the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden and I gave them an instruction? How did that work out? Okay. <laughs> right? It was like, what happened over here? Hashem spoke to Adam and said, this is what, these are the rules. And Hashem's like, that didn't translate so well. So let's try a different thing. And one of the things that Mepharshim talk about the idea is that Hashem said, I'm going to entrust the women with transmission of Torah because not only are they going to take care of it, but they are going to make sure that their families do it as well. Is it kind of like a tikkun for, for Abu Chala? I mean, it's hard to say that Hashem needs a tikkun. Let's let's say let's or say that tikkun is a correction, Wait. right? So we usually when we say tikkun, it's like when we do something wrong and we want to fix it up. So we do. So I don't want to use that language when we talk about Hashem, but oh. the Mepharshim definitely talk about the idea that Hashem looked at that and figured he's going to try a different model over here. Yeah. But to say that it was a tikkun, I'm not willing to I take mean, that on my. But I feel like t- like I'm not. I don't mean a tikkun on God. I'm saying like tikkun on like Adam was the one that you know ended up translating over to. So, so, so the Mepharshim definitely talk about the idea that entrusting it to the women was going to not only make sure that it got done, but that the fa- for, by themselves, but they were going to make sure that their families also did what had to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and what's very interesting is that Rashi tells us that you don't have to threaten the women. You have to speak Gently, you have to speak kindly to them. You have to, this is my, my words, if you explain that this is a relationship with God, they're on board. They don't have to be threatened and said, and if you don't do this, you're going to blah, 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 blah. Like, oh yeah, we're in. We, we could do this and we want to do this. And one of the things that we find the entire time that the Jews are in the desert, who is always on the God team? The women. The women. The women. Who keeps saying, we want to go back to Egypt. This is terrible. We have no issues. Right? The men. The men keep saying, we don't want this. And the women are like, yeah, let's go. We want to, 
keep moving when it comes time to the golden calf, when it comes to going into the land of Israel. Anytime there's an issue, you have like the women and everybody, you know, everybody else on the other side. Like, <laughs> did you not? So maybe sometimes the tribe of ladies with them, but like the women were like, we are ready. We're ready to follow. We're ready to go. We want to have this relationship. We want to, like, when the men are saying, we want to go back to Egypt because we're going to like it. The, the daughters of Slavon are like, give us a, give us, give us a nachla. We want a part of the land of Israel. We want to be part of it. Um, and this isn't, you know, this isn't the modern day apologetics. This is, you look in the Chumash and you see it all over the place. Emma. Um, so did you say that it was a women's mitzvah to trans- transmit the Torah to the next generation? Because isn't that a men's mitzvah? It's both. They both have, they both were given the command of Torah. Yes, a father has the obligation to teach their child Torah, but the women were given the charge. Well, first of all, we also have to do Torah, but also one of the things that the Mepharshim talk about is that giving the women, empowering the women in a relationship with Hashem will not only make sure that they do what they need to do, but they'll make sure that their families do it, the way, that they also do it. And, and then our place in the conversation is, how do we do it? You know, Do we do it nicely? And in a in a empowering, beautiful way, or do we do it in a nagging, obnoxious way? Like we can go either direction, honestly. But like that becomes our choice. But the place of saying it's gonna happen, I'm, Hashem's like, I want to make sure this happens. The women need to know about it, and they need to know about it first in order for that to happen. So the obligation to teach your child Torah is a father's obligation. Yeah. So what? But but parenthetically, understand that women always taught their daughters when the, women, the, when the girls were in school, where did they learn how to kosher chicken and keep Shabbos and, and dog, all those things. They learned it from their mother. What? Everything. How did they learn what they needed to do? They learned it because they, were, they had hands-on experience with the women in their lives who were teaching them. How, and remember, like, what they have, you know, when we talk about the things that a woman needs to know, like, there's a lot of stuff we don't have to know and I'm really kind of glad that We've gotten past the place of needing how to learn how to kosher chicken. And I'm really like, thank you, God. I really appreciate like the, the modern conveniences. Um, but, but all of those things, where were the girls learning it? They learned it from their mothers, who learned it from their mothers, who learned it from their mothers. And what, are the, what were they learning? How to make sure that a Jewish home survives. And not just survives, but thrives. And for most of our history, in terrible, terrible conditions. You know, we didn't... Are, are, you know, living in, in a, an American free country is, is new. It's new for Jewish history. The majority of our history was not so easy and so smooth. And so how do you, how do you make that space holy and sustainable? And we talk about all the, all the writers talk about what, what sustained Judaism, the Jewish home. So like, do they have a formal obligation to teach their children? We don't have the obligation to learn what's called Torah Lishma. Torah just for Torah's sake, but you need to know everything that you need to know in order to function. So all the mitzvahs that you have to do and how to keep, you know, how to keep kosher and how do you do Shabbos and how do you do, how do you daven, how do you go to the mikvah, all those things you have to learn from someplace. So you, nobody assumed that you were going to be born and have this chip implanted in your head that gave you all the knowledge. You had to learn it. Was it sitting down in a class and taking notes? No, it was, you know, following people around the house and getting shooed out of the way when they were being annoying. Like that's how we learned. So, 
So yeah, there's there's definitely that place of transmission that's coming from the mothers. But didn't it also like maybe like hold accountability of like if the father and the mother were both like responsible, yes, for different components, but like they were also just each ensuring like togetherness? One more time. Like I'm wondering like the father and the mother both being like responsible, like the father for teaching, the mother for transmission, like did that help to ensure like accountability that it was like actually getting done? A accountability and B, one of the things that we know today is that people learn differently. People learn differently. And, and, and to have all those experiences, you know, I think one of the things that's unrealistic today is we expect one person to provide multiple disciplines or, or ways of looking at life. Or at life. So, for example, your, your breakdown is very accurate. Like if there's transmission and education, those are – the person who's going to give you a lot of knowledge might not be able to give you experiential Judaism – and, and what I think one of the things that we're, it's one of our faults is that we think one person can do all of that instead of understanding that there is a team over here. And I want to also add that nobody thought that a mother and a father on their own could do this job. You know, Hillary Clinton did not invent that it takes a, ch- a village to raise a child. That's how we lived for, for forever. Nobody thought that, you know, this, this place of modern movement and like we are by ourselves in the middle of no place you know, we don't know anybody, we have no support system, that's very hard. You know, that's a very hard place to be, and that's why very often when we do move, we need to build up our network, and we have to build up our, you know, where are we going to go for Shabbos, and we're going to go for meals, and all those kind of things. Once upon a time, and I'm not saying better or worse, I'm just saying different, you know, you speak to my father, when they grew up in Russia, the whole family lived around one courtyard and you know somebody was always going to tell them off it was going to be an aunt it was going to be a grandparent it's going to be a somebody somebody was always there to to make sure that that kids were behaving so yes i think the the place of everybody working to their strengths is a very is is then everybody ends up with the best the best possible outcome absolutely um okay so here we're still Oh, then Hashem says that if you listen to my, 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 my Torah and, and listen to my voice, um, you'll be vayit and lisgula, you'll be a treasured nation unto me because I have everything. It's not like I don't have anything and you're the only thing I have, but within everything, you'll be a treasured nation. And vatem to you, and you'll be a nation of priests and a holy nation. And this is what Hashem, this is what we pass on to the Jewish people. And now they start, Moshe starts, um, what? Going up and down. Yeah, I was thinking, he was like going back and forth and back when you said this and you're going back and forth. Um, and, and what do the people say? I know what you think they're going to say. Moshe tells the people, what, is, what do the people answer? Not Nasa They do not say Nasa Mishra in, <laughs> in this Pasuk, if you take verse 8, Pasuk Ches, the people say, Vayanu Kolam Yachta, Vayomer Kosha, Hashem, Nasa, we're going to do it. Now we say, where did the Nasa come up, right? Because if I say, what are the Jews' answer to the Torah? We say Nasa That's actually going to come at the end of Parsha's Mishpatim. Okay? The next Parsha, the end of Mishpatim, it's going to go back to Sinai, and it's going to give us a lot of the prep and a lot of the, more of the back and forth. And the Mepharsha want to know what's going on, what's happening over here, why is it divided, why don't you give us all the information in one place, um, we're going to pick that up next week. But here they say Nasa, they're going to do it. And Moshe keeps going back and he, take, and he takes their answer back to Hashem. Rashi is of the opinion that Moshe only ever went up 
in the morning. So for the like the and the places that they want to count chronology and they want to know big question, when was Torah given? What day was Torah given? What day meaning everybody agrees that the Torah was given on Shabbos, but that we don't know exactly what day of the month it was given, right? Which we have a perpetual calendar today, so that doesn't make sense to us. But back in the day, that was a real question. So they, so people are trying to count. Oh, he did. This happened on this day. This happened on this day. This happened on that, right? So, uh, so Rashi is in the opinion that Moshe only ever went up in the morning. So if he got an answer on, I'm making up the numbers. So don't quote me on that. Like on, on day two, he got an answer. He only went up day three in the morning to give the answer. And how long does it take? So then, I said I didn't do it. And Moshe goes back and tells Hashem, and it's interesting how she says, like, do you think Hashem didn't know the answer? Like, if the people all said, Nasa, do you think he didn't get that? And Rashi says it's to teach Midas, that if somebody asks you a question, you get the answer back to them. Don't assume, oh, they must have heard from somebody, even Hashem, who for sure knew the answer, let's go back and let's go give back the, the answer. And then Hashem talks, and then, the, um, and so the original plan, if you look at the Pesukim, was that um, Hashem was going to speak to Moshe. Hashem was going to speak to Moshe and he would give it over to the people. And when he comes back to tell the people about that, they did not want that. I'm trying to think. Okay. Um, if you see over here in, in Pasuk Tess, in verse 9, he's going to speak to you. And then, and then Hashem says, okay, get ready. Um, be ready for the third day. And then, so then Moshe comes down and he tells the people, he says, get ready. And then, um, there you go, I lost the place over here. Okay. I think it might be in Mishpatim actually. So the people there say, or after they say they, that they want to hear it directly from Hashem. And we also know that that didn't work out so well. Yeah. At the end of the day, they heard two Two uh, commandments from Hashem, and um, uh, I think it was here. One day I'm gonna actually, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so they go, they set up the whole thing, and then we have we have Revelation at Sinai. Okay, chapter twenty is that Hashem is gonna. It starts off if you if you're in Shul on Shabbos. So for the sixth aliyah, we have the introduction of them coming and going, and then, and then Hashem says, in the middle of the aliyah, they're going to do this, and that's code for stand up, because uh, we stand when we hear Aser Sadibris, just like we stood and heard it from Hashem, and then we're going to hear they're going to read the the Ten Commandments. So that's a very interesting question, which I wanted to touch on. Okay, we know. We know that really we have the conversation of the Ten Commandments twice. We really have it three times, but we have it in our calendar. We have when when is the big thing we're getting? We're having we're having the Ten Commandments. We're having the Ten Shavuos. Shavuos is when we celebrate the receiving of the Ten Commandments, and it's a big deal, right? The shuls, some shuls decorate their shuls. Some shuls have ice cream parties. There's a big push to come here, the Ten Commandments. Come here, the Ten Commandments. Right? It's a big, big, big deal. Here, the Ten Commandments are just sort of under the radar. Right? They're just part of the next Torah portion that we're reading 
is going to be the Ten Commandments. So what, is it, what does it really mean? Meaning on the one hand, one could argue, like, it's not like one is real and one is not real. One could be like the big Ten Commandments, da-da-da-da-da-da. One of the things that we know about the Ten Commandments is what happened to the first set of the Ten Commandments. They were smashed. They were smashed, right? The, the, Moshe goes up to get, the, to get the Ten Commandments, comes down, and boom, go the gap going on, slight little, you know, spoiler. little spoiler. Yeah, right, oh, right, sorry if I ruined that one, right? Um, so, so like 40 days after having this amazing revelation, and the people are serving golden calf. We don't really hear, there's no big announcement when the second tablets come in. They just, I mean, it says that Moshe came with the tablets, and it's like, we don't have all this preparation of get ready, and they'll come near the mountain, and the thunder, and the lightning, and everything that we hear with the first, ten, the first set of commandments. And in a way, we could look at it and say, the same, just back, just back myself up for a second. When we said, you know, that they got the Torah, we said about they got the Torah, you said they got the Torah, and I said they didn't get the Torah. They had revelation. They got nothing new at the Ten Commandments, right? We know that last week when we spoke about them being in Mara with the bitter water, they got the laws of Shabbos over there, they got so many laws. They didn't get any new information over here. What did they get here? This, this somehow, Zahavi, you just learned this mimer. We had what happened with Revelation was this collapsing of a division between heaven and earth. Rashem says, if before these are two separate worlds and nothing can connect, now you have the ability, you have the ability to change the world. And that's like the the short Hasidist on all, you know, of what's going on in the Gemara talks about it all over the place, right? There was like as if the Gemara describes that there was a it's a decree that the people from this country can't come to the people of that country. They're not allowed to cross the borders. And I know we have lots of countries where that's happening, where you can't cross borders. Okay, what happens if those borders get mushed and now we can interact with each other? So now Sinai, Revelation at Sinai, creates a reality that this becomes holy. We, this sitter, this Chumash becomes holy. We have something called holy objects. We talk about the idea that the, before Sinai, things were not holy. The tefillin were not holy. The books were not holy. It didn't. When they were doing mitzvahs, things were holy. And when they finished, it wasn't. So that collapsing of that reality, or that fusing of that reality, happens at Sinai. Now, Shavuos, we have that fusion. Woo! Bring it on, right? But what happens this week? If we show up, we get to tap into that. It's still happening. We talk about the power of the Torah portion. It's still happening. It's just not as showy. And we could miss it. If you blink, we're going to miss it. Meaning, on Shavuos and Reza, like, oh my gosh, we have to hear this. Now, Ori asked, do we have to go hear the Ten Commandments? No, we don't have to hear the Ten Commandments. Could we go and have that place of revelation? And do we necessarily feel the revelation? No. Does it mean it didn't happen? Does it mean that the connection didn't happen? Also no. You know? Question. Esther. You said um, before Moshe went up to Mount Sinai, they, like, the tefillin and everything, it wasn't holy. 
So they had mitzvot even before they had the Torah? And so guess how did they... How did that work? Yeah. So th- there's, there's lots of conversation. We're not going to get into majorly now, but there's lots of conversation of how, do we, how did they know Torah? And did they know it because they were intuitively holy people? Did they, you know, did it exist and the energy of it existed beforehand? How did they know it exactly? Was it from Ruach HaKodesh? Jury's out in lots of different ways. How did they know about it? But everybody does agree that to some degree they did keep mitzvahs. Did it look like our mitzvahs? Maybe not exactly. Um, you know, in, in Kabbalah, in Hasidus, it talks a lot about the idea of, of Yaakov, his tefillin did not look like our tefillin at all. He was doing this, the whole situation with the sheep, with those striping the rods. Remember when Lovan and, Lovan and Yaakov yeah, were having negotiations over the sheep, what the payment was going to be? So yeah. it talks about that he carved the sticks that he put into the water, and that was the word. So Kabbalah says that was, he was bringing down what is brought down when we put on tefillin, mm-hmm. or when men put on tefillin. Now, those sticks afterwards were bonfire material. They were not holy. They didn't have anything. So how did he know about tefillin and what? I don't have all the answers. But they definitely knew about it. We know that that Avram was keeping Pesach. Like there was, now how do you keep Pesach if they haven't been to Egypt and they haven't been redeemed, right? Which means that there's an energy of redemption that's not connected to Egypt. So that's, you know, that's part of the conversation. It, over and over and over again, we have, the, we have these kind of, we have these, the pieces of these puzzles coming together. Um, so this week, this week, there's going to be revelation. It's going to be a little under the cover. You might not notice it, but it's happening. The other thing that's happening this week is it's Shabbos Mubarakan. We're blessing the new okay. man. Right? <laughs> it's Shabbos Mubarakan. Right, it's Shabbos Mubarakan. We're going to bless the new moon. We're going to bless the new, not the new moon. We're going to bless the new month. Um, and this week, we're going to be blessing the month of Adar Aleph, the first Adar. Um, and we're going to be starting our our place of you know sixty days of simcha. We have a double a double portion of adar. So we have um, so there's like this you know there's lots of conversation about how that works. Um, but we are going to have so this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. So if you go to Shul, not only do you get ten commandments. I'm I'm saying this as if I'm going to really like I'm trying to pet myself up, but I'm. <laughs> Kind of confident that I'm not going to be in Joel also. I, you know, true confessions, maybe too true. But, but if we do, if somebody makes it to Joel, not only are you going to get the Ten Commandments, you're going to get the Shabbos Mavarch, you're going to get the blessing of the new month. And I want to give us all a blessing. We should be present for revelation, however it looks. However it looks. We should be able to see Hashem's influence in our lives. We should be able to see Hashem's um, working of the pieces for us and about us and through us and we should just like this week we're starting we're starting uh we're, we're going to be blessing the month of Adar that means the way we need to do it and sometimes today it feels a little hard to do it this way is we have to do it with simcha we have to do it with joy we cannot be schlepping around and saying I'm a Jew okay I'll do a mitzvah like no no and there are hundreds of reasons for us to have a hard time digging for the simcha, you know? And we still, and we still have to somehow, I'm not saying we have to like be giddy, crazy, wacko people, you know? But we have to be able to serve Hashem from a place of simcha and confidence that 
he's there for us. He's connected to us. We're connected to him. And we should be able to, we should be able to just feel it in a real way. We should be able to feel it in a real way. We did not get even to the end of the Torah portion, but I really want to give us all the biggest, biggest bracha that we should live in a space of, of revelation that's healthy, that builds us, that inspires us to do more, and we should do it from a place of simple. Hi. I mean, you had a question or a comment? A question. Uh, during other, there's like the four parshas. What, what That's later on. We'll, we'll get to that later. Okay. Not yet. Okay? Have an awesome rest of the day.